from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. America. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday night, primary night in New Hampshire. And no surprise to me, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a surprise to either of you, but Joe Biden has won the Democrat primary in New Hampshire. And similarly, Donald Trump, El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, vying to be the 47th president of the United States, has also won. Now, it was a pretty decisive win as of as of the time that he took the stage to offer his uh, uh, victory speech. It was, I believe, a 10 point lead. And he came in at 54, 55 percent. And I believe uh, Newsmax TV was the first um, cable network to uh, call the race for Trump. And again, not a big surprise, of course. Shortly before the victory speech, which is not customary, uh, Nikki Haley, who, um, you know, did not come in first. Right. It's old saying, if you didn't come in first, you didn't win. Right? <laughs> and uh, she took the, the, the stage to uh, give her speech and, you know, make it look uh, as if she was the winner. And it was also interesting that she um, and we've talked about this on the show as well. When she she said, well, it looks like it's a two man race in um, in Iowa. And she'd come in third. <laughs> Maybe she was referring to uh, the two men being uh, DeSantis and Trump. I don't know. But it was just funny, to say the least. So that's uh, that's the story on that. Trump offered uh, a couple of um, words as he took to the stage, uh, saying that she uh, failed very badly in her campaign. Uh, his remarks tonight were, were very positive, very upbeat, but not quite as um, as conciliatory as they were in Iowa. Listen to this. Who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said she's going to win. She's going to win. She's going to win. Then she she failed badly. Now, you know, the governor also said that DeSantis was going to win in Iowa. Where they had uh, provided him with all the uh, the, the support, the infrastructure, uh, the um, endorsement, if you will. So it's um, interesting. It's interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I, I Let's see. I'm trying to find the right word, and I'm a little tongue-tied here. I want to make sure I say it right. It seems to me that in New Hampshire, which... In in some ways is a bastion of conservatism in that, you know, most people walking around um, when I've been there, they're all carrying a firearm. They, you know, they are the live free or die state and they take it seriously. But it's also New England and it's also very liberal in certain ways. Right. So it's an interesting place, New Hampshire. And. Iowa. Iowa's not New Hampshire. 
But it's interesting to see that both of these places, overwhelmingly, in my opinion, right? You saw Trump with the biggest uh, uh, electoral victory in uh, Iowa caucuses ever. He, he swept it. He's got a 10-point lead in New Hampshire. I know they're trying to downplay this because Trump and Matt Drudge got into some problems a long time ago. And whoever remained with the Drudge report, and I don't know if he sold it or kept it or or what the, the situation was. But if you take a minute and you ever go to the Drudge Report, the, the headlines are almost designed to be anti-Trump, right? <laughs> and not, I'm not suggesting that they need to be pro-Trump, but it's just comical when you look at it through that lens, right? So I, um, I just clicked on it, and it's got a bunch of uh, pictures of Trump making silly faces, right? It's always a, a very uh, unflattering image of him. This one says, he's back. Uh, yesterday, it said, will he make 50 percent? Haley's ahead in I think she won one neighborhood where she got six votes. And uh, and that was like last night at midnight and that they published that as of, you know, as of on the spot as if she was, you know, ahead. <laughs> and I guess technically she was ahead, but it, it was it was a very small neighborhood. The point being the point being that, that the media, including the Drudge Report and others, Uh, they have it in for Trump, and they're always trying to pigeonhole him to make it look like he's not doing well. I've got to say, for a guy that's under federal indictment uh, with, uh, let's see, four federal, uh, two federal indictments, two state indictments, 91 felony charges, facing a combined 400 years in jail, right? A $350 million fine, the... uh, uh, potentiality to lose his business license in New York. I mean, can you name another human being going through something like this and doing all of that while you're running for president and, and just killing it while you're running for president? To me, that's a story. If I were a news guy, again, I, I talk about the news, but if I were like a journalist or reporter, I'd, I'd think that's the story here. The story's not that he's back. The story's not that is he going to break 50%. No, the story is this guy is a machine, right? He has so much support from the people. And the question becomes, why does he have that support? What is it that Trump offers that so many Americans gravitate to? Well, I think we talk about that on a, on a regular basis here. I think Americans just want somebody that's going to stick up for them, somebody that believes that Americans are worth fighting for. And, and Trump gets it, and he delivers the message expertly. That's how that goes. Anyway. Um, there's there's other things that I want to get into tonight because again last night we talked about uh, immigration being um, has now surpassed the economy in particular inflation as the number one issue for voters and that was according to a, a poll uh, Harvard Harris poll that came out yesterday so I want to talk about immigration I want to talk about spending in Washington right the the what, is, what are those called again? Those stopgap measures? What do they call them? Continuing? No, no, the continuing resolution, right? So the continuing resolution was, was, was passed, I think it was on Friday, maybe Thursday. And no conservative is happy with this, right? No, no, no conservative. We wanted a spending bill that was going to be championed by Speaker Johnson. Uh, we had uh, our guest last week who uh, was a staffer for Speaker Johnson, who came on this show and he said, this isn't good enough. This isn't it. And, and that's, uh, 
That's just the facts, right? So a lot of people are, are dissatisfied with that. Uh, so I want to check in uh, with what's going in um, in Capitol Hill, what's going on in Congress, what's happening with everything there, uh, not the least of which is spending. Uh, I want to talk about immigration. I want to talk with you all, the callers. I forgot to give you the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. But, yeah, like I said, our guest last week, uh, Richard Stern, who, uh, again, was a staffer of Mike Johnson's and uh, likes the guy. Listen, I don't know him, but I like him. He's cool. I have no issue with the guy. Uh, Just let's make it happen, Captain. And I want to see him do well. And I understand it's a difficult job and you have to go along to get along. I get that. But when it comes to these things and you know that you have the entire party, at least the Republican Party, Breathing down your neck, looking at you, saying, listen, we got rid of McCarthy. We'll get rid of the next 10 guys if we have to. This is a non-negotiable for us. We have to rein in spending. And I don't want to see this continue to be the case where we get rid of one speaker after the next speaker after that. I think at some point we have to say, you know what? We're going to honor what these guys want. They're representing their constituents, the American people. We've got to stop spending. I don't know. Maybe that's a pipe dream. I don't know. Call me crazy. Or just call. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. If you take a look throughout the history of our country, if you took the 10 worst presidents in the history of this not great country right now, it's a country in decline, it's a troubled country, it's a failing country, frankly. But if you took the 10 worst presidents and put them together, the 10 worst, absolutely 10 worst, I used to say five. Remember I started, I'd say five. Then I said, wait a minute, we can add another five. They would not have done the damage that crooked Joe Biden has done to our wonderful country. Of course, that's President Trump uh, making his victory speech in New Hampshire as he won the primary, I believe, by 10 points, uh, coming in at just around 55 percent as of the time that he gave that speech. I know numbers are still coming in. I see it fluctuating, 53, 54. Uh, but that's the, the the current numbers. Haley's at around 44%. So Trump, again, um, still beating her close to 10, 10 points. And he said that he was honored to win and that the Republican Party's very united. However, Joe Biden, as Trump just noted, uh, <laughs> put the, last ten, the worst 10 presidents together, uh, could not have done the same amount of damage. That, that I think that is starting to really, really, really be true. And I don't mean starting by like now it just started. But I mean, every day, more and more people, people of color, people from different uh, constituencies, they're all over the place now saying, uh, I'm a Democrat. I'm this. I'm that. I don't like Biden. So I want to get to the bottom of that. I want to talk about spending in Congress. Uh, that is always a problem. There was a continuing resolution that was uh, um put out recently. And uh, I think we're all holding our breaths and looking forward to an actual spending bill. So I want to talk about that as well as the state of affairs in the country. And I want to do it with Congressman Bob Good. 
Congressman Bob Good, Virginia's 5th District. Sir, welcome. Welcome, Rich, uh, to you as well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being with you again. Oh, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you, sir, and I do appreciate it when you come on. So uh, I don't think it was a surprise for anybody to see uh, President Trump um, victorious tonight. Uh, But what's your initial reaction? Well, glad to see he prevailed in a state where we knew there would be a lot of uh, Democrat-leaning independents, moderate swing voters. Uh, Nikki Haley seems to be running for the for for those who who might not even vote for a Republican in the general election. And so glad to see President Trump prevail. He is our presumptive nominee. It's time to unite behind him. Uh, you know, no one can unite, uh, other than President Trump, no one can unite Republicans like Joe Biden to the point of you, <laughs> you're, you're, you're opening to this segment. This is the president who uh, you take the two worst presidents of my lifetime or lately my adult recollection anyway time of time two worst presidents jimmy carter and barack obama the, you know, biden makes carter look competent and he makes obama look moderate by comparison who would have thought who would have thought uh just going back a few years that obama the most radical leftist president in history that joe biden would do such a good job of being worse than barack obama in terms of the radicalism how much further to the left he would radically pull the country and then to look more befuddled, more confused, more inept than Jimmy Carter looked, uh, that's quite an accomplishment. I do believe he's the worst president, certainly in modern history. Uh, I don't know who we would even compare him to, uh, but it is time for all Republicans to get behind President Trump. We've got work to do to make sure that we win this general election. You would like to think it couldn't be close. How could yeah, anybody it, vote for Joe Biden? Shocking. And no, I'm just saying yeah. it, it really is shocking. Uh, and and I, I feel like... Uh, Many of us seen this coming, I don't know, before he was elected, right? But but now we're here, and I think so many people, uh, so many of my Democrat friends, that they're just, you know, they're hanging their heads in shame. They're like, they're saying exactly what you're saying. You know, how could anybody vote for this guy? So that's where we yeah. are now. There's all the speculation, Congressman Bob Good, about who is actually going to run for president in 2020, uh, in 2024, because a lot of people don't believe Biden makes it to the end. Do you believe he makes it? And if not, who takes his place? I do think he does, barring some unforeseen health catastrophe. Right. I don't mean just his his uh, continued uh, decline, if you will. I'm a little different than some people. Some people think he has no clue what he's doing, and he's just being totally, you know, pup, you know, a puppet to whomever. Yeah. And he, I believe he, I believe he is all in on the big agenda. I believe he wants the open border. I believe he is spending us recklessly into bankruptcy. I believe he wants to weaken our military. I believe he wants to advance his radical climate agenda. I believe he wants to, you know, eliminate fossil fuels in this country. I believe he wants to destroy our education system and our sense of values. So I think he's big, all in on the big picture. I do believe that. I've never met the man. I don't know him at all personally. So it's speculation from afar. I don't see him in Congress, but, uh, but certainly he's fading and he's diminished and he gets tired and he gets disoriented and he's not, you know, up to, up to speed. But remember, this is a guy who was a, considered kind of a buffoon and a loose cannon. I mean, remember Jason Sudeikis making fun of him, you know, crazy <laughs> Uncle Joe there in the, in the Biden administration. He was not take. I'm sorry, in the Obama administration, he was not somebody who was taken seriously. He was always kind of a, you know, kind of a big mouth, kind of a jerk, kind of a gaff machine. I mean, it was the Democrat secretary of defense who said, you know, he's never, uh, you know, that he's on the wrong side of every foreign policy decision in history. And Biden himself, excuse me, Obama himself said, you know, never underestimate Biden's ability to, let's say, screw things up. 
Uh, and so, you know, he was always kind of a joke. And so now we've got the diminished, depleted, uh, uh, you know, receding Joe Biden, who, who doesn't even possess the, the faculties that made him kind of a punchline for most of his career anyway. Well, I, I think I'm right on track with you. I also think that while he has some issues going on cognitively, he knows what's going on. He, he does a, a good job playing this role, this like doting grandpa role, and he just goes along with it. And for whatever reason, he, he is all in on this agenda of open borders, of, of, of being a, an appeaser to China, to Iran, to pretty much yes. you name the enemy. Yes. He's friendly with them. Right. And, and, and yes. I think this is where Americans have just really drawn the line. I'm happy to see what's happening in Congress where uh, we're trying to attach, you know, some actual legislation to uh, and, and work. Right. Legislative work to all the money that he wants to give away and the Democrats want to give away. Uh, but it seems like. We're not getting there far enough. And just for everybody who's tuning in, we're on with the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Bob Good. Congressman Bob Good, uh, we, we're going to hit a break in a moment. But when we come back, I really want to dig into what's going on. Why aren't we doing better uh, with the spending process? And and uh, I want to talk a little bit on, on foreign affairs as well. Uh, folks, Congressman Bob Good is our guest. And. Congressman, just to, to set the stage for that a little bit, what, what are your uh, initial thoughts on on what's happening uh, in your neck of the woods on Capitol Hill? Well, we are failing the American people in very simple terms on the spending bills. Here we passed our third continuing resolution with predominantly Democrat votes. We've kept in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer policies that are destroying the country from when they had control a year ago. And the spending levels that are literally bankrupting the country at running a deficit of about $200 billion a month. And the most recent egregious example this last week, last Thursday, the Democrats didn't even debate against the bill on the floor. They didn't use their time to even oppose it in debate. And Chip Roy and I took that debate time and argued with a couple of other House Freedom Caucus colleagues against the legislation. It passed by Democrat vote 207 to 2. 99% of Democrats mm-hmm. voted for it. That's how bad it was. Republicans voted for it 107 to 106. Frankly, it was joining hands with Chuck Schumer, passing out of the House with our majority, what the Democrats want in the Senate. It's a failure for the American people. Man, uh, not the report I wanted to hear, but you pulled no punches and you kept it real. Folks, we're on with uh, Congressman Bob Good, Chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. We're going to continue talking about what's going on with spending on Capitol Hill when we return. Don't go anywhere. Congressman Bob Good is our guest. I am Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. are up. Congratulations, Anthony. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? 
That's but right. you're you're doing great. America at night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. Rich Valdez here with Congressman Bob Good, Chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. He's on the Budget Committee, and I want to talk about the budget. And th- this is one of those things. Again, many of us have uh, conservatives have the the hope, right? We have the hope that. Uh, Mike Johnson and the rest of the, the conservative members in, in, in the Republican Party are going to do the right thing. And, and for the most part, I think they do. I think just some people get caught up in politics. Some people get caught up in in um, finding um, their way. There's a million different reasons things go on. But one thing that we do know is that we're on our second or third um, continuing resolution. And it doesn't seem like we're making progress towards really reining in any spending. If I'm wrong, Bob Good, correct the record. Exactly right. We are running a $200 billion monthly deficit, $200 billion a month, about $2.5 trillion a year. So every four or five months, we're adding a trillion. And for those who may not know, we're required to pass 12 annual spending bills to fund the government by the September 30 funding deadline. We're supposed to pass 12. The Senate's supposed to pass 12. Then you come together and negotiate the differences, whether it's policy changes or whether it's the spending levels themselves, and you end up with the finished product, theoretically. But it hasn't happened in decades. What typically happens is they wrap them all together like they did at the end of the last Democrat term, at the end of uh, 2022, into what was called an omnibus. You wrap all the bills together, uh, typically to increase spending. You don't give an up or down vote on the individual bills. You can't make amendments. It's just a take it or leave it. And that's what happened for the $1.6 trillion omnibus that Mitch McConnell and, and uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer negotiated together at the end of 2022 before we took control in early 23. The former speaker had promised we would pass our 12 spending bills by September 30. He also promised we'd bring a balanced budget to the floor. We did neither one of those. And then he did the continuing resolution at the end of September, September 30th, final day of the year, and again, extended and kept in place all the Pelosi, Biden, Schumer policies and spending levels, and that's what resulted in his removal from the speakership. That said, we have a new speaker, Speaker Johnson, who, to your point, is a, is a, he and I share a deep-seated faith. He, he's a strong believer, a strong Christian. Uh, he's a genuine conservative. Uh, he wants to do the right thing. He's an honest individual, and that's a change in Washington from, the, from the, what we had previously mm-hmm. speaker. However, we are operating out of fear, I believe, and a f- unwillingness to fight and show resolve. So here's the deal: if if you are in a in a disagreement with an, with, with someone in negotiation, and they and you fear the consequence of not achieving a deal more than your opponent fears the consequence of not achieving a deal, you're going to lose. And in Every this time. case, if we if we if, if the Democrats know we are unwilling to risk or suffer the discomfort, the inconvenience. Uh, of a government shutdown, then they can just say no to whatever we propose or whatever we say we'd like to do or we want to do or we wish we could do. And they say no to us. And then what we've done three times now, September 30 with the previous speaker, mid-November with the current speaker, and then just last week, is we have then passed what the Democrats want. That's why it's overwhelmingly supported by Democrats, because why wouldn't they? If we got the House majority and we're giving them their policies and their spending levels for another extended period of time, why wouldn't they vote for it overwhelmingly like they have? So it's surrender. It's failure theater. Uh, what's to believe will be any different in early March when the current uh, spending uh, continuing resolution or extension of the current policies uh, and, and spending levels uh, expires? And for that matter, once they – and what they've done, they did this. It was a deal between Schumer and McConnell and Jeffries and Johnson to do it. 
And then what they're going to plan to do is pass the a larger, longer-term spending package to get us through the end of September. But then we're supposed to start negotiating on the 25 fiscal year, which means October 1 and, and forward. Why would you think Republicans would fight uh, now if we haven't fought for the past year? Uh, and mm-hmm. my, friend, my friend Warren Davis from Ohio said, well, at least we'll have the element of surprise because they don't expect us to fight. So maybe we'll win by <laughs> you know, the, 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 the advantage of surprise if we were somehow begin to fight for something. We tried to get I met with the speaker last week uh, on the eve of this vote and tried to get him to add, attach a border security provision to the spending bill. I said, you know, hey, if we're going to give up on the spending levels and we're not going to fight there, let's at least fight for border security with enforcement mechanisms where not only we passed H.R. 2, the good border policies uh, that we passed out of the House last summer, let's attach that to this continuing resolution and also enforcement mechanisms where they don't get some of the funding of the government unless they actually bring the border uh, invasion levels down because, you know, Biden's law was he don't care about the law. He won't enforce it anyway. He doesn't have to. And we didn't do it because they would not risk a government shutdown because they knew the Senate wouldn't take it and you'd get in a fight. But I, but I believe that's a fight we can win. The American people, the polls show overwhelmingly, they don't want to continue to fund this border invasion. And when we give billions to Mayorkas and the Department of Homeland Insecurity to facilitate intentionally Biden's border invasion, we are funding the very thing that we're campaigning against. Well, and that's exactly, I think, where the problem lies and where people get frustrated, those that are paying attention. The ones that aren't paying attention are just completely apathetic. They've checked out. And I don't know if there's a message for them. I, 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 try, I come to work every day trying to, to say, you know, America's great. And I believe that we are. This is a fantastic country. And I, I feel like we're, we're inching towards the right direction. I just feel like I, I, we need to be on the express train and we're not. Uh, but what is the message that uh, you, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Congressman Bob Good, give to your constituents and all Americans when, uh, when we're, we're all here? It's a nail biter and we're hoping that things are going to get better. Are they? Well, I think in the short term and immediacy, they can take some consolation that the resistance is growing in the House. There are more courageous conservatives who are willing to risk taking on leadership, taking on the status quo, risk their political careers to do that, whether to fight against the, you know, the previous speaker and, and to ultimately remove the speaker. Uh, you had 106 Republicans vote against the spending bill. That's kind of a high water mark. If you go back to the debt ceiling increase, which was a capitulation, again, it didn't cut spending and it kept the Democrat policies in place last summer. And then the three continuing resolutions that you referenced, all of those had predominantly Democrat votes. But the Republican vote against those is growing from 70-something, 80-something, 90-something, now 106. Um, and what we got to get is reinforcements this fall. Uh, we got it when you, in the nominating battles in these primaries. We got to nominate the courageous conservatives, the warriors. We got to get more Freedom Caucus members in there. We got to obviously take back the Senate. We obviously got to take back the White House. But then we got to show courage. We got to demand of our representatives that we show courage. That we, you know, that our our goal is not just to have the majority for the sake of having the majority, but actually to save the republic, because we're hanging by a thread. Whether it's our debt, whether it's our our border, whether it's our education system, whether it's uh, the weakened military uh, under this Biden presidency, uh, so many existential threats, not to mention the weaponization of the government against its citizens, the Department of, of, of Injustice under Merrick Garland and mm-hmm. the two-tier justice system. There's so many things. And so we've got to overwhelm them at the polls in November. We can't let it be close. It's hard to believe that could conceivably be close, but we must recognize that it will. 
and do everything we can uh, to win with more conservatives in the, in, the, in the House, win back the Senate, and, of course, get President Trump elected in the presidency. Amen to that. Congressman Bob Good, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman, let everybody that's listening know how they can keep up to speed with the work that you're uh, you're doing in Congress. They can follow me at Rep. Bob Good on social media. They can uh, go to good.house.gov and they can support me. I've got a primary challenge. They can support me at bobgoodforcongress.com. All right, folks, check out the website. Support them if you're able to. If you're in Virginia, get out there and do what you got to do. Uh, Congressman Bob Good, Chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, I want to thank you for staying up late with us and giving us an update on what's going on uh, in the People's House. I appreciate it, sir. God bless you, Rich. Thanks for being in the fight. Take care. You too. God bless. Folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. Giving her acceptance speech in New Hampshire, saying that, uh, oh, you heard what she said. What, What I found really interesting, I watched it live. The guy in the crowd, or the two guys in the crowd, or three, there wasn't many, who had the big mouths. Every time she said something, they echoed. Um, they started at one point, she said something about Trump and that, you know, he's going to be 80 and he's older than 75 and he needs a, a cognitive exam and that he called her Nancy Pelosi and all these things. Right. Uh, they start yelling, Trump's a loser. And I thought, really? Trump's a loser. He just made a history in winning Iowa. And then uh, today again, uh, wins by double digits. You know, Trump became president in 2016 and he won the New Hampshire primary with 35 percent here he is he's back and he's got 50 55 percent 54 percent doesn't look bad to me right uh seems like he's on the road to victory but that's Haley and her friends or her two friends uh saying all sorts of things and listen i'm not mad at her i again i like her i respect her i think she's a a, a, a smart person maybe sometimes i i disagree with the choices uh, uh the word choices some of the the approaches that she takes. I understand she has to draw contrast. This is politics. She's got to make herself uh, the better option to Trump. Understood. That's her job. God bless her. Good luck. Uh, I just think in doing so, 
you, you want to try and put yourself in the best light possible, right? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Vivek Ramaswamy. He was able to always draw attention to the issues and the contrast with Biden. Why? Because I think he knew why on earth would I want to get into a fight with Donald Trump? Now, it's not that Donald Trump's a bully and it's, it's that Donald Trump is popular, right? Donald Trump's a former president. It's going to be difficult for you to take on a former president with a pretty good record. You could try and take shots at, at his record on vaccines and, and different. You, go right ahead. But that's not the issue today, right? The issue today is the economy. And guess where Trump did well? On the economy. Yeah, there was some big spending at the end. But I think that was in large part because of this pandemic that we had. And how, how was he not going to do that? And even that I think he handled well. So it's uh, the jury's out there. I, I don't think people are going to be... Um, very, very um, judgmental towards the, the way that was handled by Trump. Some of my uh, commenters on Facebook or one of the other social media were saying, well, why don't you ever talk about Trump spending? Yeah, I think we talk about it all the time. But the reality is Trump didn't send us into uh, inflation. I think had we stopped with the massive spending at the end of the Trump administration, we would not have gone into inflation. But it was the continued spending and tripling the amount of spending that Trump did that got us to where we are. Let's hit the phones. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to Jim. Jim's calling from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. KDKA. Go right ahead, Jim. Oh, hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. Uh, president Trump was right. I used to think Carter was the worst president because uh, I remember they called it the misery index. I mean, I, I'm yeah, old enough to remember that. Index. I went to college in 1970, and I remember when uh, McGovern – I think McGovern got one state, if I remember right. I think it was South Dakota, his own state. But um, getting back to the current group, of, uh, um, I call them the Three Stooges. Um, Biden, uh, Blinken, and um, what's the guy was in the in the hospital bed? Lloyd Austin, name. Secretary He's, Austin. Lloyd Austin, okay. It's the Three Stooges. <laughs> I used to watch the Three Stooges when I was a kid. Now, the one Stooge, no, the other Stooge was in hospital. He, he lied about being, I think he lied about, he said he was working from home, and his second-in-command was on vacation. Yeah. So, yeah, and, no, it was, and, it was a mess. But, Jim, I, I, what do you think about Nikki Haley and her accept, uh, acceptance speech and what she had to say? Okay, well, I'll tell you this. And I never heard some candidate lose, try to, try to put it like that. She says, oh, I'm going to South Carolina. She got her brains passed in. <laughs> Come on. She got lost by 10. Yeah. And then the swamp was all wanting for her. They go, well, if Nikki Haley could do this, and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, this, 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 and that. Women always say that. They say 10 ifs. I say one bridge at a time, not 10 bridges. <laughs> yeah. I mean, either, here's one or two things. All right, Jim, I think we lost you. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you're building your way up to a point, but makes a lot of sense. I get where you're at. Uh, you get, you do got to take things one uh, one step at a time. I think Nikki Haley definitely um, overshot her uh, her hand here. We'll see. Um, I do believe that, yes, she lost, and it was a clear loss, but it wasn't like she got demolished. She did get 40-something percent of the vote. That's more than Trump got in 2016 when he won the presidency. So that being said, I think Nikki Haley remains in a, p- a position today or at least she'll appear to be in a position where she's competitive. Now, this should not be mistaken 
uh, as, wow, she's really gaining momentum. No, this means that Democrats were able to vote in this primary. And this was an anti-Trump thing, not a pro-Nikki Haley thing. Uh, This is why she's not going to Nevada, which is the next primary. And she's going to go straight to South Carolina, which she thinks is her best stand, her best shot. And smart on her for doing that. Uh, I don't know how it's going to play out for her. I can't imagine, um, you know, uh, I, I just don't see her overcoming Trump in in even in her home state uh, because there'll be bad blood there. And it's probably the easiest place to, to get at her because people know her and she's got a record. And the Trump campaign can go there and hit all those hot buttons. Hey, remember when your governor did X, Y and Z? <laughs> well, don't vote for her. Right. Uh, they couldn't really pull that off because people don't know her nationally other than as U.N. ambassador and whatnot. So uh, excellent call. Thank you for your thoughts on that. We're coming straight back to you. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Senator Maggie Hassan, she's a Democrat from New Hampshire, was on the morning joke today on MSNBC. And she says that what's at stake in tonight's primary is another Trump presidency. Ooh, ha, ha, ha. And he chooses violence over voting. Listen to this. But we're also talking about the stakes of this election and the threat that Donald Trump poses to our democracy. This is a guy who denies election results, chooses violence over voting, uh, right, engaged in, encouraged. The- you know, what's interesting here is that this is like uh, I understand how talking points work. I've, I've been doing this for a little bit. I get it. Right. You make an idea and you want to drive home a point. Understood. But this point Donald Trump is a threat to our democracy. I know the reason they use this is because they have video of him saying, we're going to walk to the Capitol and they cut out the peaceably and patriotically make our voices heard. And then they combine that with video of people scaling the walls of, 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 of the house of representatives and, and breaking into the Capitol and whatever it was, or being led in by police, what you name it, a woman getting shot and killed. I understand that. And that's chaotic. And people say that's bad. And when you put two and two together, it says that's Trump, right? If you want that again, you get that again. But in reality, ask yourselves or the people that you engage with, because I really want to know if you're listening to this, you, you hate my guts and you never call make today the day you call. Why? How is it that Trump threatens our democracy if democracy was in action tonight, right? We're a constitutional republic and we use a democratic process known as voting where the majority uh, of these votes wins in every election, but for the presidential because we use the electoral college. Where is the threat to that? It seems to be working. I'm so confused. Anyway, I want to talk about something that's more confusing. What is going on at the border Why is it wide open? And we get an update on that from a former Border Patrol chief coming up straight ahead. Our phone number is 833-482-5337. 
833-4-VALDEZ. Coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. And our phone number, if you want to join the program, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And as expected, Joe Biden and Donald Trump have respectively won their party's uh, primary elections in New Hampshire. Uh, Trump... Uh, now, mind you, Biden won as a, a write-in candidate because he didn't think he was going to have any opposition, and, and then he got some. So he had a he had to do the whole write-in thing, which is very very interesting. Um, but the um, case for Trump was very different. Uh, it was, uh, in my opinion, a very decisive win with uh, by double digits in the fifty-four or fifty-five percentile uh, of the vote, and he gave some comments after he won. We played some of them at the top of the hour last hour, but I want to tap back into that because he says that immigration turned out to be a key campaign issue. Check this out. I think we called it right. Immigration's a big deal. A big deal. A very big deal. We have millions and millions of people flowing into our country illegally. We have no idea who the hell they are. They come from prisons and they come from mental institutions. And it's gonna, it's just killing our country. And I'm talking about millions and millions and millions. They are drug dealers, they're everybody. And they come in just like walking right through. There's nobody to check and there's nobody to vet. Nobody to check and nobody to vet. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, look, we speculate all the time. Why is the border wide open? What is going on? There's a million answers under the sun, most of which is, People, they want more people. They want more people in congressional districts. People want free labor. I think there's a lot of answers to that question. And all of them are bad, right? All of it. But what I thought was really cool tonight and very uh, presidential, if you will, was Trump, he takes his victory lap, but then he goes on to talk about immigration. And he says, you know what? I want to bring in Tom Homan, right, who uh, was um, with um, his administration handling the border. And, uh, and he let him say a few things about the border because the border, as we know from the New York uh, Post article yesterday, citing the uh, Harvard-Harris poll, this has become now the number one issue. It has surpassed inflation with uh, voters that were polled here. This is a big deal because I think immigration is not usually the number one issue for most people in a poll in a presidential election year, but it was. And it's very concerning. Listen to Tom Homan. I worked for six presidents, Ronald Reagan, and every president I ever worked for did something to secure the border. But no one did more than President Trump, the most secure border in my lifetime. 
the most secure border we've ever seen. And Donald Trump's going to do it again. We're going to lock the border down, and we're going to protect Americans. Because what's happening at the border right now, record number of Americans have died from fentanyl poisoning. Record number of migrants have died. A record number of women and children have been sex trafficked. A record number of known suspected terrorists across the border. There's one man who's proven he can secure the border, and he's standing to my left, Donald J. Trump. He's going to do it again. All right, that's Tom Homan. And um, given that ringing endorsement to President Trump there and, and citing the importance of the border. Now, again, this Harvard-Harris poll, uh, eye-opening to me, 35% of registered voters say that immigration is the country's number one concern, jumping by seven points since last month. And there's more to that. But I, I think this is the one that underscores everything, where when your pocketbook, the economy, inflation, becomes less important than what's happening at our border, than the national security of our country and the safety of you and your family. Now you know we've got a problem, Houston. And uh, I want to discuss that with our guest, somebody who's a former Border Patrol chief himself, Chris Clem. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, good evening, Rich. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate you staying up late to give us uh, an update on what's going on. Now, you heard these clips from former President Trump and from Tom Homan. And uh, this this information that came out of the Harvard-Harris poll yesterday, there's another piece I want to share with you, right? It says um, people are, of course, obviously worried about it. Thirty two percent of the people said inflation was the most pressing issue. Twenty five percent said the economy and jobs. But again, the number one concern on the Harvard-Harris poll that came out yesterday is immigration. Now, maybe that doesn't surprise you because you're an expert and you know what's going on down there. But it surprises me as somebody who's been observing politics for close to two decades. All I can tell you is I can't remember the last time people cared that much about this. It was a big deal in Trump's 2015 campaign, but he was bringing it to the forefront. He was saying this is going to be a big problem. And I think people latched on to that because they cared. Uh, but it, in a time like this where the economy is so bad, to me, it's shocking that people care more about immigration than they do about the economy. It tells you how bad it really is. Am I right? Well, no, you, you're, you're right. I mean, and I want to tell you, it's people like yourself that are talking about it, that's getting the information out to people all across the, uh, the city and around the country and around the world. Uh, look, I had, a, I had the fortune opportunity since late August, I think, of last year to uh, visit eight or nine different states, talk to you know, thousands of people, and tell them the facts about what's happening at the border. And, and you, know, you know, look, as Americans, we are, we are empathetic and sympathetic country, and we want to we do things the right way. We want to help people out that truly deserve it. But what we're seeing is just complete chaos and uncontrolled, you know, illegal immigration that was, that was basically stopped and shut down and, and was one of the most secure borders I ever worked under. And I, and I heard Tom's comments, but I worked for five presidents as well, and I know Tom Holman very well. And he was right. We had gotten to a point where everything that agents and leadership had asked for was coming to fruition. It was implemented. The numbers showed it. And then under this administration, it was just taken away basically on day one, and people started seeing it. It took a little bit of while uh, for everybody to notice it because these issues were pretty much relegated to the border cities and the border states. But when they started showing up in major cities like New York and Chicago and Denver and, and everybody who was welcoming them all of a sudden realized this was something that was a problem. It started resonating. And, and let me just add to that. You've got issues and hotspots around the world that are, are flaring up, and we're spending money and putting policies in place to support others 
and we've got a problem at our southern border here, and that's resonating across America. And also the, the number of deaths that have occurred because of fentanyl that is coming in through our, our porous border because our agents are out there to do our job. But when you have literally thousands at a time across the southwest border giving up and tying the hands up of border agents, that means the cartels and the drug runners are, are having pretty much you know, carte blanche to come in, and that's what's getting that poison into our country. So I think that – along with people like yourselves that are really having those conversations and getting it out there is resonating with Americans because we're seeing all these problems from the border to our, our, our checkbooks. Uh, that's, that's causing problems, and it all starts with the administration. Folks, we're on with uh, Chris Clem, former uh, Border Patrol chief, and I, I want to ask you, because I hear what you're saying, and it seems like you know, we had President Xi come to, to California, whatever it was, and, and Biden had this big talk, and he said, We're, we need to stop the, the, the flow of fentanyl, and he said, yeah, yeah, we need to stop that. It was this big dog and pony show, yet people are dying left and right. Uh, a couple of years back, I met the guy from, from Pawn Stars, the TV show, and I, I just saw yesterday in the news that this, this guy's kid just died of fentanyl poisoning. I know other people in just in my life talking to people and they're like, oh, so-and-so just died of the same thing. And th this is shocking to me. And the first thing that goes through my mind, Chris Clem, is we're at war and our enemy is poisoning our habit, right? People have a drug habit in America and they're poisoning the drugs and boom, there we go. A and I think this is, um, this is a very, very bad situation and I don't see it getting any better. Yeah, well, you're right. Uh, that's uh, Rick Harrison. His son Adam just came out and and, and talked about the the unfortunate death. And and uh, you know, just for your listeners, I mean, look, all all the fentanyl, all the precursors, if you will, are coming in from China. They're getting into Mexico. Uh, the drug labs look the, the, in Mexico. Who is aware of this kind of stuff? You know, the government. I'm not gonna. I'm not uh, talking about the Mexican people, but you know, are complicit in this. These drug cartels are putting. You know these clandestine labs together, they're counterfeiting all sorts of narcotics, all sorts of drugs that get into the system, whether it's black market or just a, a, you know, regular sales there in, you know, clinics and stuff in Mexico. But that stuff is also getting smuggled into the United States and it's being smuggled in directly as fentanyl to be repurposed and repackaged, you know, and sold. And it's also, you know, residual stuff that gets inside some of these pills that somebody may have thought was a Vicodin or some kind of other, medicine, but let, let's just, you know, here's a shocker. You know, they don't have, you know, all the rules and things in clean labs. So you're going to have that kind of impact. And it's coming, it's coming into our country and people are either purposely taking this stuff because they, they want to get high and they want that next best high. And then there's a lot of people that are inadvertently, you know, buying something, uh, you know, yeah. maybe not the proper way and, and they're getting impacted by it. Counterfeit, right. And they're dying from it. And yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that that this is knowing complicit. China knows what's happening. Mexico knows what's happening. And our own government knows what's happening, but they're not doing what it takes to stop it right dead in its track. And, and you know, that's, again, that's a shame. And all this can be done, you know, you, you know by policy directed out of this White House to shut it down. You know, the blame is going to be point, point the finger at Congress. Congress needs to pass a bill. Yes, they do. But we weren't at this problem, uh, you know, a, a couple years ago. You know, right. We had it fixed. All of a sudden, it's Congress's fault. No, it's the policy. It's turning a blind eye uh, that's coming directly out of this administration. Make no bones about it. This could be stopped or at least slowed down 
uh, if the president would would really sh- uh, put his foot down and shut it down because we, we we were there we were there and again I want to I want to make it very clear our our border security strategy is a culmination of multiple years multiple decades lots of great men and women in this organization said this is what it's going to take and we had a president we had an administration that supported us to get this done we got there we were at one of the best places I'd ever been it was great being a chief. And then all of a sudden, when uh, President Biden came in and stroke of a uh, pen on a few executive orders, it just started, you know, un- unraveling right before our eyes. And it made it very difficult for our agency and our agents and, you know, and, and even tougher on the communities. And, and, and now the, the whole country's feeling it. Folks, we're on with uh, former Border Patrol Chief Chris Clem. Uh, he's with us for another couple of minutes. We're coming right back. If you uh, want to weigh in, you could start getting your calls in. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. razor wire case. Now that the Supreme Court has decided in favor of the administration, what is the plan? How quickly uh, does the administration intend to remove all the razor wire that has been set up? So I don't have the the specifics on what the border security is going to do and how they're going to do it. Look, we are uh, certainly glad that the Supreme Court uh, made the decision to to, uh, uh, vacate the injunction that prevented border security to actually do their job, to do humanitarian work, to actually actually uh, enforce laws uh, and it got in the way it and what uh, and what was put forward that what what uh, what uh, Texas was doing the governor was doing was actually ineffective okay there we go that's um, Karine Jean-Pierre White House press secretary and this is an interesting one because you've got Texas trying to defend themselves from this invasion that they're incurring and you've got case law that says it's the federal government and federalism that oversees immigration and the Supreme Court saying, no, the immigration gets to do what immigration does. And uh, the feds win on this one. Uh, Chris Clem, retired Border Patrol chief. How do you weigh in on this one? Look, I uh, look, I, I applaud Texas for stepping up when the federal government and i.e. The, this administration is dropping the ball on border security. But I also agree with the Supreme Court on this because you know, hear me out, Rich, because this is going to set precedent. And, right. and look, let's just be very clear. There are three Democratic governors on the southern border and one Republican governor. Right. When you look at uh, California, Arizona, where I live and New Mexico and then Texas, Texas is stepping up. And what the Supreme Court said, it is the federal government, i.e. the executive branch run by the president. Who is responsible for this? So this tells you a couple things. Number one, President Biden and his administration could fix it if they wanted to. And number two, look out if there's a change in administration and we get somebody in office that's going to secure this border. Because the other three border states that haven't been doing anything, they start screaming and crying. Oh, we don't want a wall. We don't want technology. You're being too rough. Guess what? Supreme Court said, nah, it's the federal government's responsibility. And let's hope we get somebody in there that's going to take care of business. That's how I weigh in on that, because 
it is it has caused problems for too long and you know it, and I also want to direct a comment on what the press secretary was saying I'll make this very clear this is Biden versus Abbott right this is you know the state of Texas and Border Patrol agents and all the local law enforcement down they're all working hand in hand uh, they they are they they've got a great relationship um, the boots on the ground are taking care of business this is uh, strictly you know, political uh, jockeying that goes on. We all know that, but rest assured, nothing was impacted as far as border security goes. You know, even the the Border Patrol Union was applauding Texas taking these actions because, look, if not Texas, who's going to do it? Because clearly uh, this administration has not been uh, doing what is necessary and and impacting. Look, they had 302,000, I think, arrests in December on the southwest border. That is ridiculous. Crazy number. Crazy, yeah, crazy. Yep. You know, I read that and I thought that that's insane. How does that compare to like your time being at the border? Well, so I, you know, look, I spent 27 and a half years as a border patrol agent. The last uh, five or six years as chief and deputy chief along the southwest border, El Paso, Yuma. I mean, those were high numbers. I mean, I look, we went. I, I think it's important for everybody to understand. In 2000. In 19, I think the total arrest on the uh, across the United States for the border was just over 900,000. In 2020, and this is fiscal year, it was down to 405,000. All right, that's the end of President Trump. In fiscal year 21, it jumped up to 1.66 million, then 2.2 million, then 2.47 million. The last three fiscal years under this president, of uh, plus the the million and a half, two million gotaways. Yeah, that's. That's the most. And, and one other thing, early in my career, it was mainly Mexican national single adults coming to work. It was seasonal labor. It was a lot of this you know, cat and mouse game. Right. We'd see them next year. But over the last decade or so, it has been a global phenomenon that is coming into Mexico. They're, they're taking planes up to like Baja, California, Tijuana, Mexicali, El Paso. They're taking trains, other conveyances. It's people from all over the world. Look, when I was chief in Yuma, we rarely had Mexican nationals and or Central Americans make our daily top 10. So mm. this is something that, again, is something that could be controlled if you had the intestinal fortitude come out of the White House saying enough is enough. And you know what? Hold the government of Mexico accountable. Hold the Central American countries, the source countries that are sending people accountable. Close the border. Secure the border. Open up some legal pathways for those that That's want to come it. work here. But you know what? Again, not everybody coming over here wants to be a citizen. They just want, you know, some opportunities, and we, we, we can do that. We just have to get it right, but secure the border first. Right, and, and weed out the terrorists. Chris Clem, retired uh, Border Patrol chief, thank you for being here. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Hope to have you back on soon, sir. You got it. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Godspeed. All right, folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more as we continue our conversation with a retired Navy SEAL. Don't go anywhere.
For people that might not have their mind made up tonight or today going to those polls, they might be deciding between you and Nikki Haley. So what would you want to tell those voters? Well, I, look, if they want a great country, if they want a country where we say make America great again, there's nothing like it. Make America great again. That's all you have to say. We are making America great. We had we had this going so well. And look at the world. The world is blowing up, too. We had no wars. Russia would have never invaded Ukraine. Nothing. All of this. Israel would have never been attacked. Never. Remember this, Iran was broke. They had no money. You know why they had no money? Because I said to other countries, you can't deal with them until we make a deal. And we would have had a deal within two weeks after the election with Iran. Iran is spreading money all over. And look at what's happening. We're bombing the Middle East again. Now we're going back into the Middle East. We're bombing the hell out of the Middle East. And it's having no impact. You know why? Because they don't respect Biden. They don't respect him. They no longer respect our country. That's former President Trump giving some comments on what's going on uh, with uh, Iran. And in that same region, you have... uh, a, a vessel that was uh, transporting missile parts uh, from Iran to where was it going? Somalia and um, Navy Special Warfare Operator Christopher Jake Chambers, 37 years old, and Nathan Gage Ingram, 27 years old, uh, disappeared. Um, they were trying to board a vessel. One fell over into the water. The other uh, followed him in to try to rescue him. Both are now being uh, presumed um, dead, I'm supposing, when Biden says this is a profound loss for our country. Uh, the presumption is that they have lost their lives. And this is what's happening in the Middle East. And, and oftentimes, you know, we, we hear these news reports and we, we don't really have an idea of what it's like for people that are out there, right? What what are these Navy SEALs going through? What is is uh, happening in, in a situation that we only read about in the press or occasionally see on the silver screen, but we don't really get the scoop. And I wanted to get the scoop tonight because there's a book and it's called Insurgent Hunter, Memoirs of a Navy SEAL Turned Counterinsurgent Agent in Iraq. And it's written by Jack Treadway. He's a former Navy SEAL and um, Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent. And he worked to take down over 100 insurgents in Iraq I want to make sure you learn about the book, get two copies of the book, one for yourself and one to give away. Jack Treadway, welcome to the program, sir. Uh, Hello, Rich. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for your service and for writing this book. Uh, What what made you put the memoir together? Um, Well, originally it started out as kind of like a cathartic exercise for me. Um, We took a a pretty big uh, punch out there, lost uh, some guys. We were only a 10-man team. And, um, you know, you come back, uh, when you get out of the service, things slow down a little bit and you start to, uh, things start to bubble to the surface a little bit. I think it happens to a lot of guys when they get back when they're not busy anymore. Um, and it was just a way for me to kind of, uh, work things out. Um, after, um, putting a lot of my thoughts to paper, I contacted a, a friend of mine who was a, pu- a published author, uh, Stephen Templin. And um, talked to him about it, and he said, hey, you know what? We need to put this out there. Um, my biggest thing was is not many folks knew uh, about uh, Air Force's OSI and um, right. definitely didn't know about some of our uh, our brothers and sisters, you know, that went out there in harm's way and some of the jobs they did. 
Well, when you hear, uh, you know, the report that we just heard, you heard both uh, the comments from President Biden, the other comments from former President Trump and and you having done this work. Um, what, what's your initial reaction to what's happening in that part of the world uh, in the Middle East? Well, um, I think I think right now we're being we're, we're going to be stretched kind of thin here. Um, you know, we got a carrier that just came back. We had two out there. I got a chance to talk to a master chief that came back from one of those carriers. Um, and our, our, uh, our uh, soldiers and, and sailors and Marines are a lot busier out there than we actually know. Um, mm. I think these guys, um, these two heroes we lost from the teams, um, it was probably not their first mission. We only probably heard about this one because, um, you know, right. we, we suffered, suffered the losses. But um, I think they're pretty busy out there. And what they were doing is not an easy job, especially when you have a, um, a large sea state. The waves are really big, and you're trying to climb on the side of a ship or a boat out of another moving boat, and both vessels are moving with a lot of gear on. Um, it, it's, it's not an easy task. Now, Jack Treadway, you've done this work, maybe not necessarily on the boats, uh, but you, you did it uh, taking down insurgents in Iraq. Uh, tell us what that experience was like. You've put this memoir together, and, and I'm sure there's a number of compelling stories, and we have a little bit of time to dig into it. So I definitely want mm-hmm. to get as much detail as possible. Um, right. When when you when you're doing this type of work, um, how I guess you said you just talked to somebody that came back from uh, somebody's carriers. Did, did the work that you did uh, with the insurgents in Iraq? How does that compare to what you're hearing? You know, some of your former colleagues. Um, coming back on these uh, these carriers, um, is it gotten more dangerous, less dangerous? Is it is it are they more emboldened? What's the situation? Um, well, I think the work that they're doing right now is a um, a lot of interdiction and a, and a lot of surveillance. Um, the work we were doing in Iraq at the time, um, what we were trying to do, our primary mission was to. Uh, uh, stop insurgents from rocketing our base uh, with Katusha rockets and, uh, and mortars. The base was getting hit over 40 times a week. Hmm. Uh, we got there. Um, so, you know, so everybody on the base uh, it was a joint base with all uh, branches of service on it. We were operating out of. And uh, what we had to do was we had to go out and um, uh, track where these insurgents were doing the damage where they were, the, the, the cells that were setting up IEDs, the cells that were bombing us. And we had to uh, take them off the battle space. Um, and uh, when you do that, you have to get uh, intelligence and you have to get people to cooperate with you that are out there that um, wanted to see their country um, doing better than it was. And they, they didn't want these terrorists uh, in their villages or towns. Um, right. We get our information from them. So. Uh, we'd go out and then we'd have to meet them in certain places. They'd give us the information for targeting. And then we'd go back and we'd look for the best unit that could action that target. Um, and it depend on, it depend on how dangerous the target was or, uh, what the topography was like, whether we went to a, a special operations unit or a conventional, uh, uh, infantry unit to go after these guys. Now, Jack Treadway, I'm hearing what you're saying, and it sounds like very delicate, very dangerous work, uh, but it sounds so eerily reminiscent to the, the reports that we're getting now where we're getting 
uh, rockets hitting uh, bases, whether it's bases in, in, in Yemen or wherever it is, right? That, that any, any base that'll have uh, a U.S. Uh, military presence on it seems to be getting hit lately. And I feel like we're in an undeclared war with Iran and nobody really is talking about it other than these isolated incidents saying, oh, no, today we got you know another bunch of uh, American heroes are coming home with traumatic brain injuries. And now today the, these guys got hit as if it's a normal occurrence. And, and it, it, it infuriates me. But when you right. hear these reports coming in over and over, uh, does it remind you of the time you were there? And do you see things getting better or worse? Uh, to me, it sounds like they're they're getting worse over in the, the, the you know the, the few bases we have left over there in Iraq and Syria that are getting rocketed or targeted all the time. Um, I know the guys on the base has got to be frustrated, and I know they want to probably go out and action where this stuff is coming from, and they probably do have um, the ability for to have the intelligence um, to to target these areas. Um, I, I honestly, just from being on the ground there. Um, in uh, different places in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just go after um, the weapons themselves um, that, I, that might be uh, satellite locations where they have them stored, um, they, don't, they don't really react to that. Um, I saw it on the streets where you know, somebody was told something to do by an elder and they wouldn't really move until they were hit upside the head. So, <laughs> so I think we physically hurt these guys they're, they're really not going to change their tactics or, or be deterred from what they're doing. Pain compliance is the way. Folks, we're on with uh, Jack Treadway, a retired Navy SEAL. Uh, he was also uh, an agent with the Air Force uh, Office of Special Investigations. His new book, Insurgent Hunter, that he's written with uh, Stephen Templin, uh, best-selling author on the New York Times list. And uh, we're going to hear more about the book, some of the, the big stories out of there. We're also going to talk about the current state of affairs with the American military. Why are we having a staffing shortage? And can the young people today meet the challenge? And I also want to talk about um, the just dangers that we have with national security. It just it seems like we're getting accustomed to, to being weak. And that's definitely not a good thing for America, in my opinion. Coming back with uh, Jack Treadway and your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Can you just tell me a bit more about what the president meant yesterday when he was asked by my colleague whether the strikes in Yemen are stopping the Houthis and the president said no? I think, you know, if you just look at what happened yesterday, it's it's pretty self-evident. They continue to have offensive capability and they continue to be willing to use it. We also have plenty of uh, defensive capability available to us, and we continue to use it as well. Of course, that's uh, Admiral John Kirby, retired Admiral John Kirby, and giving his response, basically saying, hey, look, we know that these strikes that Biden's authorized aren't doing anything. 
yet we keep getting hit. And it's what we were just talking about with our guest, Jack Treadway, a retired Navy SEAL and um, special agent with the Air Force OSI. He's also the author of the new book. You got to get this book. It's called Insurgent Hunter, Memoirs of a Navy SEAL Turned Counterinsurgent Agent in Iraq. Jack Treadway, when you hear uh, this response from uh, John Kirby, our national security uh, spokesperson, uh, it doesn't inspire any confidence for me. How, how does it make you feel? Well, I, I get what they're trying to do. Um, they're trying to deter them um, kind of a, in, a, in a minimalist way. Um, but I'm telling you, if you just hit storage facilities and launch sites um, and you don't go after the people that are doing the launching, or doing the loading, um, I, I just don't think they're going to be deterred. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I'm with you. Uh, I believe you know terrorists are terrorists for a reason, and uh, I, I think there's only one way to deal with them personally. And you've done it. I haven't done. It. I I talk about it. You do it. Let's talk about some of what you put in the book. What's your favorite um, uh, memory or uh, part of the memoir that you've put uh, into the book that stands out the most? Um. Probably talking about the actual work that we uh, uh, did on the ground in Iraq with our uh, expeditionary detachment that we had there. Um, it was probably some of the most gratifying work I've ever done in my career. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it uh, probably some of the uh, most painful uh, work that I've done simply because of the losses. Um, like I said, when we, when we got there, you know, our, our, our base mm-hmm. was being shelled. Uh, over 40 times a week. Um, by the time our tour was over there, we, we had it down to about four times a week. Um, what type of it, work it was, were you doing to prevent that? Well, uh, what we did is um, there, was only, there was only about 10 of us. So we had the entire area of uh, operations around the base for about a, uh, a 12 to 20-mile radius. So what we did was is we, uh, we, we broke out a chart and um, we put two, we, we broke up the areas into different sections and um, we had two agents, you know, a two, a two person team uh, take responsibility for anything negative uh, that came out of that area, whether it be uh, troops ambushed or IEDs uh, uh, being found or, or hit um, or, you know, we were able to, um, the army was able to track the point of origin where a lot of these uh, rockets or mortars were coming from. So we got it to the point where our team, um, if it came out of your and your partner's area, you took it personal. And um, your work was to go in there um, and, and, uh, and kind of fish out where these guys were to put a stop to it. Man, let me tell you, nah, I don't envy you. I definitely don't envy you on that front. Uh, folks, we're on with Jack Treadway. He's uh, the author of this book. You definitely want to get a couple of copies of it on Amazon, uh, wherever you get your books. Insurgent Hunter, Memoirs of a Navy SEAL Turned Counterinsurgent Agent in Iraq. Uh, we're coming right back with Jack Treadway. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And we continue our discussion with retired Navy SEAL Jack Treadway. Jack Treadway, we look around and there's a lot of work to be done militarily for our country. And when I look around, I see a lot of people with blue hair. I see boys wearing skirts, uh, girls thinking they're boys. A lot of craziness going on, at least what I call craziness. And it makes me think, are we as safe as we once were? And can these young people, this new generation, can they rise to the challenge like generations past did to keep our country safe? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think the older generations will, will, will always be asking that of our, our younger generations. Um, you know, there, there, there is, there is, it is a troubling time for the, uh, for the military branches right now. Um, I think uh, like 50, 56% of uh, Gen Z's are supposed to be <laughs> overweight they say right now are not eligible for military service and then you have another 20 percent at some point um had, you know took some kind of medications that prevent them from, from serving until they clear those for a couple of years um i think we didn't see this much for uh before september 11 2001 happened i remember a lot of the way about uh, uh, coming up behind, uh, that we were training. Um, but Americans, you know, um, they, they always seem to step to the challenge when nine 11 happened. Um, you saw all these volunteers come up, you saw all the patriotism and then everything that we had a question about people we were training. I mean, they went out and they crushed it and they even did better than, um, um, you know, frogmen and frogmen and soldiers of the past are just as well. Um, so I, I really think, and I hope, I hope that uh, you know some of the things that have been taken out of the books and some of the things being taught in classes, whether it be our uh, public uh, uh, K through 12 or our colleges, um, I hope it doesn't indoctrinate our our uh, younger generation too much to where if the call goes up again that they don't step forward like these, like these folks who just finished 20 years of a war on terrorism. And Jack, just before we run out of time, I want to make sure that you let everybody know how they could follow you online and how they could get a copy of the book. Sure. So, um, uh, you know, for, for the uh, same reasons, um, because some of us are, 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 are still doing work from time to time. Um, a lot of the names uh, in the book have been changed, except for those who have passed, made the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice uh, serving. Right. Um, so I really don't have much of a social media footprint. Um, my um, my partner and author, Stephen Templin, does. Um, the book can and be found it's on, available uh, on Amazon. Amazon. Perfect. Correct. Check it out on Amazon.com, former Navy SEAL Jack Treadway. Jack Treadway, if that is your name, I want to thank you for your service and for being here, brother. You bet. We'll be right back.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and uh, a very good Tuesday to you. Welcome to hour number three of the program. Uh, if you missed hours number one and two, you can always check it out at our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. You could uh, hear what our guests had to say. And, of course, hour number three, it's just me and you. The callers, the listeners, and the phone lines. We're going to talk about whatever you want to talk. It's Open Phone America. And we do Open Phone America is as a tradition, right? It was started back in 1978 by Larry King, who um, preceded the late, great Jim Bohannon, who did this for 30 years. And Larry King, by the way, uh, today's the anniversary of Larry King's um, death. So a uh, big shout out to Larry King. This was his show way back in the day. And we want to honor him and that tradition of taking calls on any topic and um, and having a good time with it. 833-482-5337-8334. Valdez is the phone number if you want to join us on Open Phone America. And a couple of things I want to talk about tonight. We did, we did have a conversation about the Navy SEALs that um, uh, perished, unfortunately, with a former Navy SEAL. We also talked about... Uh, immigration and the crazy border problem we have. We had uh, Congressman Bob Good on earlier. I think we have a clip from former Congressman Bob Good that um, we can play for you shortly. And uh, here, here it is. Uh, I don't think it was a surprise for anybody to see uh, President Trump um, victorious tonight. Uh, but what's your initial reaction? Well, glad to see he prevailed in a state where we knew there would be a lot of. Uh, in, uh, in the Democrat leaning independents, moderate swing voters, uh, Nikki Haley seems to be running for the for for those who, who who might not even vote for a Republican in the general election. And so glad to see President Trump prevail. He is our presumptive nominee. It's time to unite behind him. Uh, you know, no one can unite uh, other than President Trump. No one can unite Republicans like Joe Biden to the point that <laughs> you, you're, you're opening to this segment. This is a president who uh, you take the two worst presidents of my lifetime, or my adult recollection anyway, time of time, two worst presidents, Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama. Biden makes Carter look competent, and he makes Obama look moderate by comparison. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, uh, just going back a few years? Who would have thunk it, right? And, you know, one of the biggest takeaways that we got from that uh, interview was that I asked him, you know, what's going on in Congress? And his response was, Rich, we are failing the American people. And I thought that to be a very honest answer uh, from the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. If you missed that interview, make sure you check out the replay on our website, richvaldezamericatnight.com. And while you're there, sign up for the podcast. I know a lot of people sign up for the podcast. And a little bit later, uh, I know there's others of you that listen uh, to this program on YouTube. Uh, there's a, like a static video that goes out every day. I, I recently learned about this. I didn't even know about it where people can watch this on YouTube and, and hear the program via a video. And um, 
I have a question that I'm going to ask you guys later about YouTube, how many people are using YouTube. Uh, I, I, I seem to be getting more requests for people to say, put more video content out there. We want more video, uh, streaming the show, that type of thing. And uh, I'm a radio guy. I like to, you know, wear my pajamas and, and hide behind a microphone. <laughs> I love that allure. You know, I, I enjoy doing television, but when you do TV, there's hair, there's makeup. I don't even have hair, but that's what they do, right? You go to hair and makeup, you get all... All, uh, all all fancy, and, you know, there's a lot of lights, and it's a production. Radio, not so much, which is kind of why I like it. It also activates a different part of your mind where, you know, what they call the mind's eye, where everything that's said, you have to kind of envision in your mind's eye, and that's why they call radio theater of the mind. It's why I really love this medium so much. But uh, I do want to know your thoughts about YouTube, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I want to talk about Alejandro Mayorkas. He is the Secretary of Homeland Security. And uh, I believe he's a loser, um, if, if I can say that bluntly. Uh, I really do believe he is a loser. And uh, something you heard a little clip of, uh, Congressman uh, Bob Good mentioned that Trump won the New Hampshire primary. And that, uh, that was the case. He did win. And we have some audio from that that we played earlier. And I think we have some that we didn't play. And I'd like to use a little clip of it here <clears throat> because uh, Joe Biden has done a lot of things for this country, mainly bad ones, right? And um, it's hurting the country. And something that I think is, is hurting uh, the, the progress, right? The, the political progress that we're trying to make to, to fix this is when, People who don't have an opportunity to win stay in a race beyond their shelf life, right? And I'm not saying Nikki Haley's there yet, although I do think that she is likely not uh, having any type of chance of winning. <laughs> um, but she wants to stay in the race for whatever the case is. I think if you're going to stay in a race, you stay in the race to win, right, to, to try to win. And um, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that. But if not, um, then she should consider stepping aside. But I do support uh, the democratic process. So, you know, come one, come all, let everybody who wants to run, run and may the best person win. Now, Donald Trump um, alluded to some of that, that he didn't like her style, her form in giving her concession speech uh, as a victory speech, right? <laughs> a quote unquote victory speech. Listen to this. Who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory. She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's gonna win, she's gonna win, she's gonna win. Then she, she failed badly. Now she failed badly was right. Now listen, this is Trump and he's um, keeping it real as he usually does, which I thought was great. And he was bothered by this. And you know what, I would be bothered too because she didn't go out there and she did say congratulations to, to President Trump. But it really came across as, hey, look, I won, right? I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm in second place. And, and that's not really a win. And she tried to make it look like a win. She tried to make it look like it was a two-man race when she came in third. And DeSantis came in second in Iowa, which I thought was really funny. But I get it. She's trying to win. And uh, I'm not mad at her. I just think it's funny. And Trump, on the other hand, was bringing out experts. He brought out Tom Homan. Uh, to talk about immigration policy. He brought out um, Senator Tim Scott to talk about uh, how they're moving forward into South Carolina. And he also brought out Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, I thought it was interesting. He was flanked by both his sons, Don Jr. and Eric, but he was also flanked by Senator Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy. 
and Vivek and Tim Scott being there. And of course, they both recently um, have uh, endorsed him. And even in, when he won in Iowa, as part of his speech, I don't know if you remember, and he says, oh, and Carrie Lake, she's going to make a great senator in Arizona. And I thought it was a nice shout out. But again, he was in Iowa. What, what was the Carrie Lake? You know, I, I figure if you're in Arizona and you see Carrie Lake in the audience, say, hey, Carrie Lake, by the way, she's running for whatever. Give her the plug. Makes sense, right? There's people there that can vote for her. But nobody in Iowa is going to vote for Carrie Lake unless they're going to vote for Carrie Lake, but not for a senator. So I feel like Trump is doing the smart thing here. And he is auditioning who he thinks is going to be a good uh, person for vice president. And he's not just going to make a choice. He's going to try them out on the campaign trail. And he's got Tim Scott out there giving a speech. He's got Carrie Lake out there on television doing what she does best. She's fantastic on television. And she gives a, a, tr a tremendous speech. Uh, but uh, these are all fighters, right? They're out there and they're fighting. And he brought out Vivek Ramaswamy tonight. And uh, he had, he said, hey, you got a minute. I think he took two minutes. But, man, did he deliver uh, a really good stump speech for Trump. Listen to this. What we saw tonight is America first defeating America last. That's what we saw tonight. If you want America last, you can go to Joe Biden. You got another candidate still apparently in the Republican primary. Cut your Social Security to fork over more money to Ukraine so some kleptocrat can buy a bigger house. Go to Nikki Haley. But you know who delivered a double-digit victory tonight? It is a double-digit victory as of right now. Is this man, Donald J. Trump, the leader of America first? And that means something. Now, USA and Donald Trump, America first. Now, I got, I got 30 seconds left. I want to make this point here, okay? We got to say this. We got to say this right. What we see right now with her continuing in this race is the ugly underbelly of American politics, where the mega donors are trying to do one thing when we the people say another. And it's up to us to we the people to at long last say, hell no, we the people create a government that is accountable to us. And we the people have said tonight, we want again, as we did in Iowa, Donald J. Trump. And so you want to actually speak truth. That's the truth tonight. And the only thing they're rooting for is an ugly thing that we don't want to see happen. That's what these people are rooting for, is playing to say long enough so the Reed Hoffmans and the ugly Democratic George Soros Juniors who are funding the lawsuits against Trump can prop up their puppet. We say no to that vision. I say the general election begins tonight, and this man will win it in a landslide. God bless you, Donald J. Trump. Vote Trump USA. All right. Well, there you have it. If, if we were looking at who is doing the best in uh, campaigning for Trump, I think Vivek won tonight. And and he, he has a great way of delivering uh, the America first message. And we're going to see how it goes. I, I, can't, I could totally see him being a vice president. And I mean, it's a shame that the standard we currently have is a uh, Kemalaitis, right? How bad she is, right? Vice President Kemalaitis. Good old Kamala Harris. She's the, the current uh, inhabitant of the office of vice president. Oh, here he goes. Did it? 
right? Yep. Great, great, uh, great melody there. That's uh, my part-time job. When I'm not on the radio, I sing uh, Spanish parody songs about the vice president. Thank you very much. Anyway, yeah, Kamalaitis, how bad she is. Kamala Harris, the vice president. She's the current standard. So when you put Vivek Ramaswamy next to Kamalaitis, this is a hands-down victory for him. But the reality is Tim Scott would beat her. Um, Carrie Lake would beat her. There's so many people that would be great. A lot. Some people are saying uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Ben Carson, former brain surgeon, uh, that he's being touted for this vice presidential role. Listen, um, I, I tend to think Ramaswamy would be a very good candidate for vice president. Uh, it's a largely ceremonial role, but he would be a great um, ambassador for the administration, if you will. Carrie Lake, I think, would be fantastic uh, because she would be able to use that as a springboard. Right? I think she knows how to b- support the America First agenda and um, parlay that into taking the lead in 2028. So, and I'm not saying Ramaswamy can't do that. He obviously can do it as well. Uh, I just think that they, they're they unique. And I'm curious to know, who, who do you think Trump should pick for his vice presidential pick? Uh, I'm thinking somebody from the West Coast is a, is a good look. I'm thinking somebody, um, you know, everything that the, the Dems want, right? They want balance, right? They want a black woman, a Hispanic woman. I say, do the same thing. Get a black woman or a Hispanic woman. Why not? You know, fight fire with fire. Anyway, I want to know your thoughts, but obviously we want to pick the best person, the best possible person. We don't want to do what, what Biden didn't say. No, it doesn't matter how qualified you are or not. We're, we're going with a woman of color. <laughs> That's a little crazy. Anyway. I want to know your thoughts on that and everything else. We've talked about the Navy SEALs. We've talked about uh, what's going on with all the conflict around the world and the media, as well as uh, all of our guests. So uh, your calls and more are coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. This is an evening uh, that uh, I will not forget because it's the third time. But more importantly, uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the most important time. Uh, We won uh, both. uh, I think they said somebody said you rarely if you win both, they've never had a loser. Let me put it that way. When you win Iowa and you win New Hampshire, they've never had a loss. There's never been. So we're not going to be the first, I can tell you. That's President Trump talking about his pathway to victory after winning Iowa and winning New Hampshire. And he is the president of firsts. I will give him that. Hopefully he's not the first. uh, uh, Like he just said, hopefully we're not the first. Yeah, I hope he's not the first either. 
Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on this and everything else we've been talking about. Uh, let's go to Paul Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, go right ahead, my man. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, you know, um, with uh, uh, the question you ask about uh, who I think would uh, be a good uh, vice president, if, you know, if Trump gets the non- nomination, and I'm sure he will, um, I like I like Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, the more I listen to him, the more I like it. You know, he, he sounds like a pretty reasonable person, and I do watch him on YouTube, so I do watch him quite a bit when you was talking about that. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to say was Nikki Haley. Hey, look. Who likes a quitter? If you want to stick in there, Nikki Haley, go right ahead. You know, um, uh, it doesn't bother me any. But um, I just think that Ramaswamy's a good guy, and uh, Donald Trump's my man. Um, now we're going to is it is it where are we going to next, Rich? Um, South Carolina or I think immediately um, next is going to be uh, Nevada. Then it's South Carolina, but. Um, Nikki Haley didn't uh, bother to get on the ballot in Nevada because she knew she couldn't win there. So she's going straight to South Carolina. So Trump is going to go to Nevada, then to South Carolina. And that's going to be the next one that we look at. Did I lose you, Paul? I did. Ah, it's the deep state phone monsters are at it again. Uh, But yeah, I think the the only issue I have with what Paul was talking about is that Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, I think, are worlds apart worlds apart when it comes to certain policy issues and you don't need rubber stamp people but when you have an agenda it's kind of like basketball and i don't know anything about basketball but i'm going to use this or any ball right you, you name the ball <laughs> game and and everybody ideally wants their team to get their ball to go to a certain place whether it's a home run a goal um in a basket whatever right that's the idea when you're so far apart that goal becomes very different because you may have a different idea of where that ball should go. And then you're not playing on the same team. And I think that's the issue that he faces with Nikki Haley. I just think they're worlds apart. Uh, To make a a real-life example, right? Think about being in love with a person, a man, a woman, your significant other, or somebody you'd like to be your significant other. But you realize that despite all of your feelings and all the wonderful uh, things that you like about this person— you guys are worlds apart on certain key issues. And I don't mean political issues, just, you know, life issues. And, and you know that there's no conceivable way forward with someone where you're just so far apart on issues that are very important to each of you. And I think that's the case uh, that we see going on with um, uh, Carrie Lake. Uh, not Carrie Lake, excuse me, <laughs> Nikki Haley. I, uh, forgive me. Now they're going to say I had a senior moment. I'm only 45. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere and join the conversation. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And also, let me know. If anybody's watching YouTube, are you guys catching the show on YouTube? Let me know. Be right back. Rich Valdez. with an 
All right, America, welcome back. I want to get to your calls and more. There's plenty to discuss tonight. We've talked about the border, what's happening at the border. We've talked about what's happening with spending uh, on Capitol Hill. Do I'm wondering if we uh, have another clip from Bob Good. That was a very good conversation. Uh, I want you to check this out. I talked to Bob Good earlier. He's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, congressman from Virginia, uh, asking him about the uh, budget. Listen to this. What are your uh, initial thoughts on on what's happening uh, in your neck of the woods on Capitol Hill? Well, we are failing the American people in very simple terms on the spending bills. Here we passed our third continuing resolution with predominantly Democrat votes. We've kept in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer policies that are destroying the country from when they had control a year ago. And the spending levels that are literally bankrupting the country at running a deficit of about $200 billion a month. And that was that. If you want to hear the whole conversation, make sure you check out the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, or just um, you could listen to it at com. in case your local affiliate doesn't carry all three hours of the show live. And if you're listening to this and you want your local affiliate to carry the show live, call them, let them know, email them, um, do it as often as you need to and let them know, hey, I want to listen to this show. This is the show I like. Uh, it's important for program directors to know what um, listeners like to hear. If they don't hear from you, then they just make decisions based on what they like. And they may not know how much you enjoy this program that takes live calls and is on for three hours live every night. It's kind of a rarity in radio today to have a live show uh, three hours every night in the 10 o'clock Eastern time slot. So um, I've been getting a lot of requests for people saying, hey, I want you in my area. I want you here. We're growing as quickly as we can. But uh, you can always let your local affiliate know. Now, I want to continue with your calls. Let's go to let's see here. Randy, uh, Randy is calling from near Akron, Ohio, listening to WNIR. Randy, go right ahead. How are you, Rich? I'm doing great. Well, thank you. you. First off, I've seen you on TV. You're a very handsome guy. Oh, so thank you. you. I appreciate that. The microphone. Eh. Listen, I, first off, I want to say Carrie Lake, I think she slit her throat tonight. She's campaigning with the Democrats. No, no, you're talking Nikki Haley. That's I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I just partner. did that before, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, she uh, she got 4,000 votes from the Democrats. I mean, uh, it's ridiculous. She needs to step down. That's yeah, I'm one. with you. I agree. Two, and, and I I'm think gonna... just to underscore that, we should not misinterpret the fact that she came in at 40 something percent as some sort of momentum or her actually being competitive, because that was the Democrats that are able to vote in this primary. Go right ahead, Randy. That was the enemy, enemy, absolutely. So the other thing is you talked with the, uh, the gentleman that was congressman. Congressman, the Congress has failed. I'm in the 6th District, which is in Ohio, and our congressman bailed out. He's not going to be a president of a college. And That's um, uh, Congressman Bill voted. Johnson. Yeah, never voted correctly in my eyes at all. And I was all over his back all the time, which most American people need to understand. You need to call them people and you need to let them know who they work for and that you're not satisfied. I don't think enough people do that. But we have a guy out of uh, East Palestine, Ohio, where the, we had the, uh, the uh, train accident. Yeah, the big derailment. And his name is Rick. Rick Chai is his name. This guy's on fire. He is a chiropractor. His father actually was a, a Chinese immigrant came to this country and uh i mean the guy loves america he's maga 100 percent pro-life pro two genders 
but also very passionate about that. You know, like I say, he's a doctor, but just a great guy. I mean, I'm, he's been on John uh, Frederick's show on Real America's Voice. Oh, yeah. I like John Frederick's. I've done some on. TV with him before. He's he's terrific. And um, yeah, I, I don't know this particular congressman that you're talking about. Uh, but usually uh, what I find is folks that come from Chinese immigrant families are usually so anti-communist and so pro-freedom and love America so much that you'd think that they they you know, their family came here on the Mayflower. So um, I, I, I don't I'm not surprised by that in the least. Randy, thanks for your kind words. I appreciate it whenever I am on TV, by the way, I, um, you know, I, I, I get I shave that day. It's the one day a week I shave besides Saturdays. And, uh, you know, the lights and all that stuff, it, it helps out. But I appreciate your kind words. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Uh, let's continue our journey across America. Let's go to Bobby, uh, St. George, Utah, listening on KZNU. Bobby, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, good evening. I was calling, since we're chatting a little bit about immigration, one of the things I've been wondering about is, what has been happening to all of the miners that have been camped out at the military bases? Uh, the last one I was months ago was Fort Dix, I believe, in Texas, and there were you know close to ten thousand miners. And I was wondering where are they? What have they been doing with them? Right, you know, and you know that, that's in- right. And I just want to say that that's not the only kids that are missing. Right, there was also uh, uh, last year eighty-five thousand kids that were unaccounted for by this administration. And something a Texas Senator John Cornyn brought up was that we don't know whether these kids are going to school. We don't know if they're getting any health care, if they need health care, uh, whether they're being forced into any type of um, sex slavery, involuntary servitude, working in chicken factories, in the overnight shifts. We see crazy stories about uh, minors working there, minors working at McDonald's overnight. Uh, we don't know if they're being sexually abused or neglected. We just don't know anything. And the Biden administration can't tell us anything about it. And that's unacceptable. And I agree with Senator Cornyn when he says that, because, you know, uh, you can't just go losing kids. You can't go opening a border, letting everybody in and then just be like, oh, I don't know. And then and then criticize Trump when we have a situation where. They're, you know, being split up because we want to vet the parent or the quote unquote adult in the group. Uh, whether they're a trafficker or a family member or whatnot. And they, oh, it's family separation, kids in cages. I mean, it's such an unfair rap that they give uh, the Trump administration. They give Biden an absolute pass, and that is not fair. Uh, Bobby, thank you for the call. I appreciate you joining the conversation. Excellent question, and thank you for tuning in uh, from your neck of the woods. Always a pleasure. Let us continue. Jim, Hot Springs, North Carolina, uh, streaming on KDKA. Kim, go, uh, Jim, excuse me, go right ahead. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Mr. Valdez. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got th- three fast points like Mike Forte, who I think uh, think I, he'd be a good vice VP for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, this guy, I got a good friend. He's a Democrat, and we watch we watch see. I watch have to watch seeing him about all day long there when I'm hanging around. But anyway, uh, I've noticed that they watch this right in front of their eyes, and, and they believe everything that the Communist News Network tells them. But did not okay, and he, one of his arguments is that uh, Trump tried to go to Pence to get him not to validate the uh, the election, which Trump had the right to do that, and Pence had the right to not validate the election. The next thing is uh, he claims that oh that was an insurrection, insurrection. Well, Donald Trump did try to get twelve uh, thousand 
National Guards there. And also, after the insurrection was going to happen, that they claim happened, was uh, was all the military going to say, here's all the nukes Donald Trump, and you can do whatever you want to. The third thing is, I'm sitting there watching this uh, the day of the Iowa uh, uh, New primary. Hampshire. And uh, the CNN reporters are sitting there saying that, oh, Haley's up 29%. And and I was sitting there (laughs) telling my friend, I said, Haley's right there below DeSantis. DeSantis is 4% of higher. Oh, in Iowa, yeah, yeah. uh, I think DeSantis is only at like 21%. How come they're saying, oh, that's a lie. That's a lie. Right there's the polls, and it's it's CNN saying it, and they're saying something different with the polls. So. But I, I say, but I I think uh, that Mr. Scott there has proved himself to be a real conservative, and he's against racism in all accounts, and uh, uh, he's proved himself, uh, I, I believe, as a as a viable person to to carry that. Well, that you know, Jim. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think uh, I'm glad that you watch CNN with your buddy and you kind of walk him through it. Sometimes people need that. You know, they need to be awakened. There's things that I've learned about myself in the last six, seven, eight months uh, that I truly didn't know. And I'm like, wow, I've been doing that all this time. I had no idea. It's kind of like listening to yourself on the radio, which I don't always do, but I used to do a lot. And you listen to yourself and you go, wow, do I really sound like that? And I don't mean the sound of my voice. I mean, just, you know, my cadence. Sometimes I, 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 I'm thinking, you could hear me thinking, and it sounds like like I don't know what I'm saying, right? Because I don't. <laughs> my mouth is moving, but my brain isn't catching up. So, you know, sometimes you, you really learn a lot about yourself when uh, somebody can explain things to you. And uh, CNN and MSNBC, these guys are the usual suspects. Just tonight again, they, they've done it again. Uh, tonight, they cut away from former President Trump's speech in New Hampshire uh, after he won the primary by 11 points, uh, which is the latest number solidifying him as, again, the front runner in the 2024 Republican nomination and saying that because um, Ramaswamy was a a hype man of his during his speech, CNN anchor Jake Tapper said he hadn't seen anything like that since um, Boudini Brown making a reference to a famous trainer and and, uh, ally of the boxer Muhammad Ali saying, I I heard at least two or three things that need fact checking, uh, Jake Tapper said. Uh, introducing CNN fact checker Daniel Dale. Obviously, Donald Trump did not win in 2020. This is what this is a, a quote uh, from Daniel Dale. He lost that election, and that's been adjudicated over and over. Although the crowd he's speaking to, they believe it to be a lie. CNN cut away from uh, the uh, victory speech by Trump, where he was railing against his uh, opponent, former U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Uh, the only challenger facing him in the primary at this point. <clears throat> and, of course, he attacked President Biden. And I think that's your job when you're running for president, right? That's just how it works. Anyway, MSNBC, um, they, they, they've already made it a regular practice. You heard Joy Reid talk about it the other day, saying that this is what they do. They will cut away, and that it's their job to, to decide for you that if uh, Trump's lying, they're just not going to play it. As if, you know, the old saying, how do you know a politician's lying? His lips are moving, right? That had nothing to do with Trump, that joke. That's been an age-old joke. And here we are now. You've got, I I can't say legitimate news networks, but, you know, once considered legitimate news networks, now saying, no, no, we've got to fact-check everything that that guy is saying before we air it. It's just absolute hypocrisy, and it's just crazy to me. Uh, Thank you, Jim, in Hot Springs, North Carolina, streaming on KDKA. Big shout-out to everybody in North Carolina. Uh, Coming back to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This 
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. We're going to fly through some of these calls. We've got a lot of excellent calls. Calls from Maine, New York, Pennsylvania, Arkansas, Michigan. What is going on with our friends out in Phoenix? What's going on with our friends out in California, our friends in Oregon? What's going on on the West Coast? I haven't heard from anybody. Uh, anyway, let us continue with our calls here. Let's go to Mike calling from Harpswell, Maine on WLOB. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I've been listening to your show all night long, like I usually do. Thank you. And two things crossed paths with me tonight. That was Trump's win over here in New Hampshire and your interview with Jack Treadway, hmm. the U.S. Navy SEAL. Now, when you and Jack started talking about enlistment figures, I, I got to tell you, I'm an old uh, retired gunnery sergeant, United States Marine Corps. Oh, thank you for your service, sir. Uh, I did. You ain't gonna talk about mine. Talk about Jack. He's a good man. Uh, the Army alone in 2022 signed 22,000 enlistments, 60 percent below its annual target at the end of 2022. As far as 445,000, nearly 40,000 smaller force sized and authorized by Congress. Look, it's a shrinking pool for recruiters. Only 23% of 17 to 24 year olds will serve without waivers. The other percentage is enrolled in college. That makes the percentage fall to 12%. A mere 9% have propensity to serve. Lowest since 2007. Reason, obesity, and drugs. You know what? You bring up an excellent point. And I, I think it's not only that age group that's struggling with obesity. I think it's everybody. About a year ago, maybe a little more, we had a, an amazing guest on. This guy was a, a brilliant um, doctor. His name was Udo Erasmus. And he was discussing how in the 1980s, the federal government adopted something called a food pyramid. And ever since that happened, we've had an epidemic of obesity in our country where people are just fatter and fatter and fatter. 
And some blame it on fast food and this and that. And there probably is a lot of uh, reasons why. I'm sure fast food is horrible for you. But ultimately, he blamed it on pushing carbohydrates like we'd never pushed them before, saying that that was an essential part of the food pyramid. And what we learned was we really don't need carbohydrates in that large quantity uh, that most people can get by on, on, you know, something less than like 40, 50 carbs a day from what I've read. And I think this is why we're seeing people get fatter and fatter and fatter because the ingredients in our food is just getting uh, worse and worse and worse. Mike in Harpswell, Maine, I want to thank you for your service. Gunny, you are a gentleman, a patriot, and a scholar, and I appreciate you. We're coming back with the rest of your calls in the speed round. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It is the speed round, so let's get straight to the point. Let's start with Joe Salem, Arkansas, K-S-A-R. Joe, who should Trump pick as his VP? Hey, Rich, uh, greetings from Salem Province. Now, listen, I heard Roger Stone say it would not be a woman. I hope he's wrong on that. Uh, because, uh, uh, well, Vivek, if it's a man, would be the best. And uh, if not, uh, I love Carrie Lake. She, Yeah, you know what? I love Carrie Lake, too. I think she's fantastic. And I think ultimately, uh, if it's not Carrie Lake, it's probably going to be because she's taking the Senate run very seriously and has an excellent shot at winning. And we need someone like her in the Senate. I could see her doing some serious damage for good. Right. Making some waves for America. Joe, big shout out to you. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Michigan, Lansing, Michigan, W.I.L.S. Jeff, why do you think Haley is staying in the race? I believe, well, first of all, it's been a great, a great show. And uh, 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 Mr. Valdez, uh, and that's Valdez with an S, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, that's right. Um, just, I believe that she's staying in the race uh, at this point, knowing that she's not going to win. So I, you're right. I think I think you're right. She she knows she's not going to win. She's angling for something. It's likely for her ego or something else. I think I agree with your point. And that's uh, what we're going to see play out. Uh, hopefully there is a goal for her and it's a big contract or something like that. But Jeff, thank you for the call. Shout out to WILS in Michigan. Dan, quickly, we're down to the wire. Washington, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Dan, go right ahead. Is Trump here for yes, retribution? Sir, uh, yes or no? I said he's not here for retribution. He doesn't have time. He... I think you're right, Dan. Uh, Trump is here to do the right thing, and what they're calling retribution is really called justice. And justice should not be confused with vengeance. All right, America, that's it for me. Take care. Good night and God bless. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> 
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.